It is a great honor and a distinct pleasure to have represented SCCM throughout the world as your president this past year. Let me add my welcome to this 36th Annual Congress and to the Central Florida area. Early counts suggest that this may be the largest Congress attendance ever. Certainly, the quality of the program you're about to participate in is extraordinary. I thank you again for the privilege of being your president this last year. Together with your council and our professional staff, we have achieved important milestones to strengthen the society and facilitate your ability to provide the best care to your critically ill and injured patients. With the purchase and renovation of a new building in the Chicago area, the SCCM will have a permanent home for the first time in its history. The ability to make this investment in our future resulted from the serious but optimistic approach to financial management your council has undertaken over the last several years. That same optimism and enthusiasm can be seen in other society activities to improve your patient's care and your experience with SCCM. Recently, the society has launched its new websites. The reason for this change was simple to deliver a superior online experience for all members and other users of this important interface. My SCCM allows you to use a single point of entry and importantly, a single password login to access, access all of SCCM's web contents and offerings. MyICUCare.org is the one-stop resource for families and friends of patients who are critically ill or injured that can help them make important healthcare decisions about the care of their loved ones. Finally, and most importantly, LearnICU.org houses the most current text-based as well as other types of educational material containing clinical and management information. Using this portal, you, can, you will be able to participate in online learning exercises and continuing education opportunities, watch streaming videos, listen to iCritical Care podcast interviews, and much more. We anticipate this will become your go-to resource and will help you keep your commitment to lifelong learning. All of these changes will benefit your critically ill patients in multiple ways. At this time, it gives me great pleasure and a fair amount of relief to introduce your next president, Frederick P. Ognebeni. Dr. Ognebeni has been a member of the SCCM since the early 80s and has served the society in many important ways on his rise to become president. Fred received his MD degree from Cornell University Medical College in New York City, where he was also awarded membership into the prestigious National Medical Honor Society, Alpha Omega Alpha. His medical school achievements followed an outstanding performance as an undergraduate at the University of Rochester, where he graduated magna cum laude. Fred completed an internship and residency in internal medicine at the New York Hospital, and then, to our good fortune, he entered a critical care fellowship at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. Fred's commitment to quality education and care of the critically ill permeates his professional life. He has been involved in resident and fellow training and mentoring at the NIH for over 20 years. His current position is Director, Office of Clinical Research and Medical Education at the NIH. In addition, he holds clinical appointments at the University of Maryland and George Washington University School of Medicine. Fred is active as a researcher and has more than 100 publications to his credit. 
He has sat on many significant editorial boards, including critical care medicine. Although he has served the SCCM in many capacities, I'll mention only a few of the highlights. He served for many years on the program committee and then became the program co-chair in 1989. Sorry, 98. He served as the Secretary General Board of Regents of the American College of Critical Care Medicine and was also chair of the Credentials Committee. He was chair of the Research Committee and served on the Continuing Education Committee for many years. He has been part of the faculty of the SCCM's multidisciplinary board review courses, as well as other review courses throughout his career. Fred was elected at large to the council twice. He was then secretary for two years before becoming president-elect last year. Fred has served in many other ways, too numerous to mention, to further the mission and values of the society. In addition to his critical care commitments, Fred has many outside interests and talents as well. Each of these he pursues with the same vigor as he applies to his professional life. He is a huge fan of the arts, donating both time and money to their support. Fred supports his community as well as our national society. He is a participating member of the Washington, D.C. chapter of the society. Fred is a commissioned officer in the public health service. As we have recently seen when disaster strikes, Fred is there. From my personal perspective, Fred has been a strong and supportive colleague. His logical and consistent approach to achieving objectives has been an enormous help to the executive committee and the council. He is a wonderful role model and a gifted mentor to me personally and all of us in the leadership. I, I could continue to list the many significant contributions Fred has made to our society, but that would only delay your hearing what he has in mind for the next year. It is now my honor to present to you your 2007 president, Dr. Frederick P. Ognebeni. Thank you very much, Charlie. And thank you for the honor of serving as your president in this coming year. So I have a question for you this morning. How many of you remember the name of your first grade teacher? Raise your hand. Okay. I do. Mine was Mrs. Stranigan, and she reigned supreme at Our Lady of Loretto Elementary School in Falconer, New York. But Mrs. Stranigan is not the teacher I remember best from the early years of my education. That honor is reserved for Mrs. Carol Lewis, my 10th grade biology teacher. In her class, we dissected a cow's eyeball. Not an ordinary old frog, but an eyeball from a cow. I got to see how it operated, the muscles that control eye movement, the mechanics of it all. And I was captivated. Mrs. Lewis introduced me to the joy of learning about biology and the joy of unlocking the mysteries of how our bodies work. It was the beginning, and I know that in that biology lab, lies the origins of my career, the beginnings of my ultimate goal of a life and a career in medicine. And I'll be forever grateful to Mrs. Lewis for teaching me and for setting me on that path. Another question for you this morning, actually my challenge to each of you is, who will remember your name? Who will call you mentor? Who will credit you for starting their life in critical care, the equivalent of my 
cow's eyeball moment. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about our responsibilities for teaching and mentoring, not only because it is a part of our obligation as professionals, but also because the need is great and the need is growing greater. Remember just a few years ago when U.S. News and World Report labeled us and our professions as hot. Critical care professions were added to the list of hot jobs for the new millennium. Well, today, we are already in that seventh year of that millennium. Baby boomers, myself included, are getting older, are getting sick, and beginning to crowd our hospitals and our ICUs in record numbers. Critical care is going to need more, many, many more, nurses, pharmacists, physician assistants, respiratory therapists, dietitians, basic scientists and clinical researchers, social workers, educators, and physicians. The goal of this litany is to remind everyone and to stress the absolute need and imperative for greater numbers of individuals becoming members of our multi-professional team of dedicated intensive care experts. We, who are already members of that team, must not only replenish our ranks, but add to them if we are going to serve these older and sicker patients who populate our nation's hospitals. Where to begin? How about each of you becoming a Mrs. Lewis? Your local elementary and high school sponsor career days. Sign up and talk to these young students who are eager and impressionable. Volunteer to speak about healthcare professions and their values, especially those pertaining to the careers which are part of our critical care team. Get those future healthcare professionals interested early. Get them hooked. Alternatively, consider working at a community health fair. Get the word out to others about our wonderful critical care professions. Mentor beginning medical, nursing, pharmacy, respiratory therapy students. Bend the ears of promising nurses and residents and respiratory therapists rotating through your ICUs. Help make our intensive care professions exciting and viable career options. <clears throat> be visible and be accessible for the next generation. Take time at the bedside to teach. Some of the most memorable moments were things I learned at the patient's bedside how to clinically recognize cardiac tamponade, or how to treat septic shock and ventricular fibrillation, how to comfort the patient, the family, and the staff at difficult times, how to hold the hand of a dying patient. At some point, I transitioned from being the student to being the teacher, and to having the pleasure of helping others learn. I became a mentor, and hopefully a role model. My former fellows in the audience, if asked, and in some cases if not asked, will tell you about my compulsivity on rounds, the importance of the details, the importance of listening to each other, to our colleagues and members of the ICU staff, to our patients and to their families. I certainly hope that I've been a good mentor and a clinical role model. But of course, education isn't limited to our students and trainees or to the recruitment of healthcare professionals. 
those bottom line watchers, our hospital administrators also need to be educated. In some cases, they may still be skeptical of the value of critical care specialists. We have not done the best job of helping those administrators understand that not only do we save lives, we save dollars for their hospitals and hopefully for our patients. Adequate numbers of a well-trained, skilled ICU staff improve quality and add value to their institutions. They need to understand that concept. I think our peers in the business world understand that principle, but I'm not sure that we have done a good job of convincing some of our colleagues in hospital administration. It is the time for the right care right now. Those hospital administrators and others, however, are going to quickly grasp the importance of the Society of Critical Care Medicine's newest large initiative, the Paragon Critical Care Quality Improvement Program. Some of you may have already heard about it. The Paragon Program is designed to create tools to address quality improvement in the critical care environment and further to provide mentoring and support for you at your local institutions as you implement quality improvement processes. This personalized approach to quality improvement will ultimately help patients everywhere as SCCM not only dedicates its resources to improving care at one institution or small group of hospitals at a time, but also as we take what we learn from our experiences in your ICU and develop and share with others throughout the world. Paragon complements and reinforces the many educational, research, and publishing activities that the society has always provided and helped us better achieve our charitable mission of improving care for the critically ill and injured worldwide. I am very excited about the possibilities the Paragon Project holds for us and for our patients. A number of pilot activities are already underway, and throughout the year, you'll be hearing more about this exciting new society endeavor. Well, I've talked this morning about teams and partnerships, mentoring and learning, but learning, as you know, is not done in isolation. It involves not only our clinical colleagues, but also our colleagues and partners at the laboratory bench and in the laboratory. The value of our partners conducting basic science or animal-based research is well understood, and an expected part of the translation of knowledge from the bench to the bedside and back. These partnerships are expected and valued. However, it does concern me when some view our partnerships and relationships with industry, medical device companies, pharmaceutical firms, as somehow bad or tainted. I don't feel that way. Our industry colleagues have much to offer and contribute to the advancement of higher quality delivery of care to our critically ill patients. Our society has developed approaches and policies for such partnerships. I am comfortable with our current policies and our partnerships, and I hope that you are too. Remember that the society's collaborations with our industry partners are done in compliance with regulatory agencies and our accrediting bodies. These relationships are not illegal. However, at times, there have been issues of clarity and objectivity 
be they real or perceived. We need to present our positions free of bias. We must be objective, honest, and unquestionably ethical. This is an issue not only for the Society of Critical Care Medicine, but for all of medicine. Clear guidelines for how medical professional societies interact with our industry colleagues are needed. This is not only an established goal for this society and for our partners in the American Thoracic Society, the American Association of Critical Care Nurses, the American College of Chest Physicians, the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine, and other professional societies. It is also a personal goal of mine. And I hope to move this forward during my tenure as president. <clears throat> I am so proud to be a member and a critical care professional, a member of the team committed to high quality care and to improving the outcomes of all critically ill patients. And we do improve outcomes. What we do not do well is tell our story. We in the ICUs have not just an admirable, but an enviable success rate. In many circumstances, up to 80% of our critically ill patients live. That is eight out of 10. Can you imagine your favorite baseball slugger with an 800 batting average? That's double Ted Williams' best. Yet, if you ask the public what happens in an ICU, they say, it's where people go to die. We must find ways to educate patients and families that for the majority of them, the ICU is not a place of death. It is a place of hope, a place of recovery, and a place of survival. So whether it's the satisfaction of a career in critical care, the value of our roles in healthcare, or the success we enjoy in serving patients, we all have a good story to tell. My challenge to you is to go home, go back to your communities, to your hospitals, and share that story, and share your knowledge. And I look forward to joining you in that endeavor. So I told you of my biology teacher, Mrs. Lewis, and the role she played as my mentor. But she wasn't the only member of Team Ognebeni. I would be remiss if I failed to acknowledge the rest of this team, many of whom are with us today. My mother, Alma Ognebeni, is in the audience. She was the first and one of the best teachers in my life. I'm 53, and she's still teaching me. She's accompanied by my sister, Grace, one of my five siblings. And I think I can take some credit for teaching them a thing or two, but I can also tell you that they have taught me plenty. My professional family is also part of my team. Many of you already know them. One is Joe Perillo, a past president of SECM and current editor of our journal. I first met Joe when he was chief resident at New York Hospital Medical Center. I thought of Joe as one of the smartest guys in the world, and I still do. So do the National Institutes of Health, or the NIH Clinical Center, the hospital of the NIH, which recruited Joe to lead its Department of Critical Care Medicine and to start a fellowship program in critical care. And I was one of his first four fellows in 1982. I can certainly credit him for starting that amazing fellowship program, which was so important for my career. But Joe, I know you had an ulterior motive. 
night call. Margaret Parker, also an SECM past president, was at the NIH when I arrived. And boy, did I learn clinical skills from her. I thought I was good at getting in a central line, but Margaret was the best. She was the queen of the catheter. <laughs> what I also learned from Margaret was the importance of balancing a personal and professional life. She clearly does it better than I do, so I still have a lot to learn from her. Joe and Margaret were involved in this organization and valued SECM, so of course I followed in their footsteps. I owe them a lot for where I am today professionally and where I am as a leader of this organization. I'd also like to thank Henry Mazur, who was Deputy Chief of Critical Care Medicine when I joined the NIH, and he's now Chief of that department. He helped recruit me to the NIH, but he also taught me more than I wanted to know about antibiotics and infection control, how to finesse my slides for scientific talks, and how to finally hone a manuscript to get it accepted in the best medical journals. All are my friends, all are my colleagues, all are my mentors. I have to thank the fellows, the nurses, the respiratory therapists and pharmacists I've worked with for keeping me on my toes and for pushing me and for letting me push them to learn and to be the best that they could be clinically and professionally. I thank them for their patience and for allowing me to be a mentor. I also have to thank my mentors in this organization, the past presidents I've worked with on council and the executive committee. Their widely disparate styles and their broad range of skills have provided me with tools that I hope will help me during my presidential year. Please join me in thanking all of them for all they have done for me, for our patients, and for our profession. Teaching and learning are lifelong processes. Even when we cross that threshold and become more of a teacher than a student, learning and education do not end. They are lifelong activities. I want to extend my thanks to all of you as colleagues and clinicians, teachers and students, and friends. But before I close, I would like to highlight the Critical Care Education and Research Foundation also known as CCERF. The Society has established a goal of 100% participation and support for the Foundation from all Congress attendees. In your registration bag is a donation envelope for the Foundation. Please join me and your colleagues in reaching this goal. As I have pointed out, the Society's educational, clinical, and research initiatives provide an important public service. They help ensure positive outcomes for patients in our intensive care units. Make a difference with your donation. By doing so, you will help further our society's educational and research goals, which in turn will assist, assist us in our roles as mentors. Finally, I look forward to learning a great deal from you during this upcoming year, and then proudly and confidently sharing that knowledge with others as I lead the Society of Critical Care Medicine as your president. Thank you.
Discover successful strategies on how to achieve the maximum benefits of nutrition therapy at the 6th Summer Conference in Intensive Care Medicine. Nutrition as a Therapeutic Agent to Improve Critical Care Outcomes. To be held June 14th through the 16th, 2007 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Developed by the Society of Critical Care Medicine and the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine, this conference will cover topics such as the benefits and limitations of select nutrients, successful strategies involved in enteral and parenteral nutrition therapy, and similarities and differences in international nutrition guidelines. Register today by visiting www.sccm.org or calling 1-847-827-6888.